Hello everyone, my name is Haley Elizabeth and if you don't know who I am, this is my true crime podcast where I sit down and I talk about all things true crime ranging from murders, disappearances, cults, all the way to the biggest drug bust in history, the biggest bank heist in history, all things true crime. So if you're interested in any of that, you can subscribe and watch the visual version every Wednesday or you can head over to Spotify, Apple, wherever you can find podcasts and listen to the audio version every Tuesday. But for today's case, we're going to be talking about the case of Adrian Jones. Now, there is a lot to get through, so we're just going to hop right into it. Adrian was born on June 18th, 1979 in Dallas, Texas. She was born into her mom, Linda, her father, Bill, and her two brothers, Justin and Scott. The family lived in Dallas up until Adrienne was five years old, and then that's when they moved to Mansfield, Texas, because they felt like the city was just getting too dangerous and they wanted to raise their kids in the suburbs. And with Adrienne being the only daughter in the family, naturally her father and her brothers were very protective over her, especially as she got older. But Adrienne growing up was a really, really good kid. She did very, very well in school. She was very intelligent. She got straight A. She took AP courses. She would also spend hours after school and even before school studying for whatever classes she needed extra help in. She was also very athletic. She was on both the school's soccer team and cross country team. And so not only was she excelling in school and her sports, but she was also excelling in her social life as well. A lot of people described Adrian to be very outgoing, very funny. She also worked at this restaurant part-time called Golden Fried Chicken, and her co-workers would describe her as to be very outgoing, very bubbly. She was always talking to everyone and having conversations with everyone, whether that be like a customer or one of her co-workers. She was just the type of girl, like I don't know if you guys have ever had that like one person on shift that just makes the whole day go by so much faster, or like whenever you know that you're going to be working with this person, you already know like the day's going to fly by because everyone just enjoys their company so much. She was always in bright spirits, always talking to strangers. She was always sparking up the most interesting conversations with people. She wasn't afraid to talk about very like out there topics with just complete strangers. She was very bubbly, very funny, and she was always there for her coworkers as well. If they contacted her and said that they couldn't make like their certain shift, she would always like not really mind to pick up extra shifts for her friends. And so this personality was not just at work, it was also at school as well. She had tons of friends at school and she didn't really belong to any specific group. She just kind of hopped around from group to group. She was definitely one of those confidence booster friends, the type of friend that when you're hanging out with them, you just feel like more outgoing and more like bold to talk to people. One of her friends actually described her as, quote, Her school spirit was just so awesome. I could see her becoming a cheerleader someday. And then as she got into her teen years, uh, entering into high school, she really took an interest in hair, makeup, and fashion, and she upkept her appearance very, very well. She started wearing makeup every day to school. She would go to the mall and buy new clothes for school. And then as Adrienne became a teen, since she was, you know, starting to do her makeup a little bit more, 
dress a little bit differently. Her dad became more strict on the rules in the house. And so he was strict before, but since she was getting older, he became a little bit more strict. Uh, she had a very strict 9 p.m. curfew. And if she went somewhere like a concert or a movie or a festival, she would always have to bring back her ticket that she got from wherever she was going and show it to her dad to prove that is where she went. And the rules would get a little bit more strict when Adrian was 15 and she got a boyfriend named Tracy Smith. But naturally, like any other teenager with strict parents or strict rules, you want to rebel, you want to make decisions of your own. So that's what she did. She had snuck out of her house a couple of times to hang out with Tracy. Sometimes she would just hang out with Tracy without telling her parents or do like, oh, I'm staying at this friend's house for the night, but she would actually be staying at Tracy's house. But her rebellious behavior was never really to the point of concern. It was just kind of, you know, every once in a while. All while this was going on, she was still making really good grades in school. She was still top of her class. She was still excelling in her sports. She still kept up her job. Like, none of this behavior was really affecting any parts of her life. She was just having fun and being a teenager. And then in November of 1995, at 16 years old, Adrian had a cross-country regionals competition in Lubbock, Texas. And so Lubbock is about five hours away from Mansfield. So that day, her whole track team went into the school bus, they went to their meet, and they ended up performing pretty well. But when they got back from their meet, a lot of the athletes were being picked up by their parents. But there was one specific person that saw Adrian get into the car with someone that they didn't recognize. And when they asked Adrian who that was, Adrian just said that it was her friend. And then after that, everything was fine. And then on December 3rd of 1995, at around 10.30 p.m., that is when Adrian's boyfriend Tracy had called her. They were on the phone for a little bit and the phone was in the living room and her mother Linda was in the kitchen just kind of cleaning up. So she was overhearing Adrian's conversation and then her mom Linda says that at one point she hears Adrian go oh wait hold on and then it seems like she switched lines to talk to another person and Linda said that she talked to this person for only about a minute before switching back to Tracy and saying something along the lines of like oh sorry about that I'm back so Linda was kind of curious as to who that person was so when Adrian said goodnight to Tracy and they got off the phone um, her mom went into the living room just kind of talked to Adrian and then she asked hey who was that on the other line that you were talking to? And Adrian just goes, oh, it was my friend David from Cross Country. He's just upset about something, but it's really no big deal. And the mom was like, oh, okay, just wondering who that was. And at this point, her mom had never heard of a David before. She didn't even know that there was a David on her cross country team. So she just kind of, you know, let it roll over. She didn't really think too much of it, but she did note that the rest of the night when she saw Adrian, especially when she went to go say goodnight to Adrian, she seemed very anxious. She seemed like there was something on her mind, but she didn't want to pry. And so she was like, you know what, maybe she'll feel better in the morning. And so they said goodnight to each other. Linda went to bed and so did Adrian. 
And then the next day, on December 4th of 1995, at around 7 a.m., that is when one of Adrian's brothers walks into their mom, Linda's room, and asks Linda where Adrian is. And Linda's just thinking, oh, you know, usually before school, Adrian will go for a run. She's probably just out for a run. And so Linda walks into Adrian's room, sees that Adrian isn't there. So she assumes that she's running until she looks down on the floor and her running shoes are still there and so that's pretty odd and so Linda assumed that okay well maybe she snuck out of the house last night she's done it a couple of times but usually Adrian always returns the morning before so this kind of concerned the mother but she thought you know Adrian will be back maybe she went to Tracy's house and fell asleep but it got especially concerning when that morning Linda had received a call from the school saying that Adrian never showed up to school that day. So immediately when the mother heard this, she started freaking out and she called the police to file a missing persons report because for Adrian not to come home and then on top of that miss school was very unlike Adrian. She left all of her things there, like her purse was still there, uh, her like cards, her identity was still there. Uh, her IDs, her purse, her everything was still at the house including her backpack so the fact that Adrian hadn't came home yet and missed school was just overall concerning. So she did indeed file a missing persons report and then while the police were out looking for Adrian that is when Linda got a hold of Adrian's address book and just started calling everyone in her address book and including her cross-country coach. So as she's on the phone with Adrian's cross-country coach uh, she starts explaining the situation and then she remembers from the night before that Adrian was talking to a guy named David. So she asks the coach about a guy named David and the coach goes, yeah, there's a David on our team, but I don't think he's friends with Adrian. Um, I don't even think I've ever seen them talk to each other. And so that was kind of the end of that conversation until later on that day, uh, the coach just had this like weird feeling about it, especially about David, of why Linda would bring up David's name. So he goes to one of the teammates and asks them if they could ask David if he had talked to Adrian recently. And so that teammate went up to David and asked him if he had talked to Adrian recently and to which David just replied no. He seemed very confused. He was like, I don't really talk to Adrian like that. So I, I don't no, I haven't talked to her at all recently. And then later on that morning, the police receive a 911 call from a local farmer who was driving on a road in Joe Pool Lake in Grand Prairie, Texas, which is about a half hour away from Mansfield. And he said that as he was driving, he found a body weaved in barbed wire fence. He said that at first he just saw something odd in the distance before walking over and once he realized it was a body, he immediately called the police. Detectives arrived on the scene and confirmed that this was the body of 16-year-old Adrian Jones. Simply just by looking at her body, detectives could easily tell that her back of her head was bludgeoned and caved in, as well as two gunshot wounds, one to the forehead and one to the cheek. One detective on the scene actually said, quote, it takes a cold-blooded person to shoot a pretty young girl in the face from two to four feet away. 
that girl was mangled and it was sickening to look at. Adrian was wearing shorts with sweatpants over them as well as no shoes and there was two bullet casings found near her body. When Adrian was taken in for an autopsy, they found that the cause of death was indeed the gunshot wounds and she had been suspected to have died at 1am the night before. And so when news broke about Adrian's death, especially Adrian's murder at this point, it completely shocked everyone. She had friends everywhere. She had friends at school, she had her teammates, she had her classmates, she even made friends with uh, girls in other states that she competed in against like soccer and cross country. And she was just the type of girl that had no enemies. And so hearing about this was extremely shocking. And to honor the memory of Adrian, the school actually planted a tree with her name on it in stone right next to the soccer field. And so since Adrian was found the way that she was, this was clearly a murder and they needed to get to the bottom of it. They needed to retrace Adrian's last confirmed steps. And so the last person to see Adrian was Linda the night before. And Linda said that Adrian just went right up to bed. So they started investigating her room. They also start investigating any sort of ins and outs of the home to see if it was a possible abduction. But upon looking further, into the house, the police found no evidence of a break-in and no signs of an abduction. So whoever was able to get Adrian out of the house, it was definitely someone that she knew and that she trusted to leave with. And it was suspected that Adrian had died around 1 a.m. So they needed to figure out where the timeline laid at from the time she saw her mother at 11 p.m. to the point of when she died at 1am. So the police started interviewing all of Adrian's families and friends, trying to get a long list of people that they can interview, maybe some leads. And so the police were able to get quite a long list of people to interview and interrogate, but due to Adrian's popularity, the investigation would turn out to be a lot more confusing and exhausting than they anticipated. So the first people that would be called into questioning was Adrian's family, and Linda told the police about the weird phone call that she got, about Adrian speaking with a man named David Graham the night before, as well as her brother also telling police that the night before uh, he had actually seen a pickup truck parked outside of their home but he didn't see Adrian get inside of it or anything he just saw this car parked and the police also started to interrogate and interview their list of people that they had gotten from the school but most of them had alibis as well as passing a polygraph test so most of them were cleared but police noticed that as they were talking to these kids there was one specific name that kept on popping up and it was 18-year-old David Graham. David Graham was indeed on the cross-country team with Adrian as well as a battalion commander at the school's junior ROTC. And at first, David wasn't even a suspect because David told the police as well as the coach also saying as well that David and Adrian never really talked together. They were mostly just acquaintances through cross-country and so because of this, when they interviewed David, they didn't give him a polygraph test or anything because they just assumed David didn't really know Adrian all that well. 
And David even said himself that him and Adrian were purely just friends and more just casual friends. Uh, But contrary to what David's friends would say, David's friends said that although David didn't know Adrian very well, he was very torn up about her death and even openly cried a couple of times about her death. And this was very odd because, as I said, Adrian and David did not know each other that well. But later after this, David was cleared and the police were back at square one. The police looked at many suspects, including a girl named Tara, who was known at the school for her violent behavior. She was always getting into fights, always yelling at people. She had even fought a couple of her teachers in the past. There was one incident where one of the girls on uh, Adrian's soccer team actually had a restraining order against Tara because one time Tara went up to her with a baseball bat because she thought that that girl was sleeping with her boyfriend. So when police interviewed her, they thought that they were going to get somewhere, but Tara not only had a really good alibi, but she also passed a polygraph test, so she was eventually cleared. And so the police start looking into Tracy, Adrian's boyfriend, because this is, you know, a very common thing where uh, significant others will kill their other significant others. So they started looking into Tracy, and the parents even said themselves that they were kind of suspicious of Tracy because the day that Adrian had passed away, um, Tracy did not call them whatsoever. He didn't ask if they were okay. He didn't ask them, you know, questions or anything. He didn't even call them to give condolences. And personally, I just feel like at the time, Tracy was a 16-year-old kid. And how are you supposed to deal with the death of your girlfriend as a 16-year-old boy? So I don't think him not calling the parents was suspicious in any way. I think it was just more out of fear and shock and if you were to talk to them, what would you even say? And just the overall occurrence of your girlfriend being brutally murdered at 16 years old, that's a lot to process. But when Tracy was called into questioning, he had a really good alibi and he also passed a polygraph test, so he was eventually cleared. And when the police asked Tracy, is there anyone that you think could have done this, anybody with motive, and that is when Tracy mentions 17-year-old Brian McMillan. And the only reason he said that was because uh, when they were on the phone the night before and they were, you know, just talking at 10.30 at night and Adrian had switched over to another person on the line, he said that Adrian actually told him that on the other line was Brian McMillan. Brian McMillan was a local teenager in the neighborhood. He had severe depression, but he was also very obsessed with Adrian. Adrian, uh, prior to working at Golden Fried Chicken, actually worked at a local Subway restaurant. And when her friends talked about Brian McMillan, they said, quote, he began to bother her so much that when she saw him coming, she started ducking her head behind the counter. And it was said that Brian would frequently come into the Subway restaurant and just say very out-of-pocket things to Adrian, uh, all these very weird and creepy comments, and she just hated whenever he would come into the restaurant. And when Brian was brought into questioning and asked if he knew Adrian, at first, Brian said that he didn't even know Adrian. He said, I don't 
don't know who that is. I've never heard that name in my life. But eventually he did confess and he was like, yeah, I actually do know Adrian. And he even said in his interrogation that they were casual friends, which I highly doubt. And so when the police were trying to look for Brian's alibi, he said that the night Adrian went missing, he was actually having a very depressive episode. And that night he got blackout drunk and he doesn't remember anything. And with his behavior, there is a possibility he could have went to Adrian's house that night. Um, And this was something that he would frequently do. He would have depressive episodes and just drink and get blackout drunk. And so due to this, the police arrested Brian on suspicion of killing Adrian. And it wasn't until three weeks later, as Brian was sitting in jail for three weeks, the police finally gave him a polygraph test to which he had passed it with, quote, flying colors. So since he had passed his polygraph or his lie detector test, he was released. Along with the support of his family and friends, Brian's father also told the police that he was with Brian all night that night, and although he was drunk, he would have noticed if Brian left the house that night and he is 99% sure Brian did not leave the house that night. And so due to this, due to Brian being in actual jail for almost a month for a crime that he did not commit and also the police didn't even give him a lie detector test until three weeks after he was in jail, um, the family ended up suing the police department for an undisclosed amount. I was trying to find the documents of this lawsuit to try to figure out like how much they got and even if they won the case but unfortunately I couldn't find any of that. So with Brian released and cleared as a suspect the police are again back at square one. They don't know who could have done this. As I said everyone loved Adrian so this was going to be very very hard and they were getting absolutely no leads and the police wouldn't actually get another lead to this case until nine months later. So then in September of 1996, randomly two naval cadets from Annapolis, Maryland told their higher ups as like a complaint slash report that one of their roommates made a very concerning comment about the murder of a young girl. They thought at first the comment was just a dark joke until this individual started to give very dark and graphic details of the crime. And the person who made this comment was 18-year-old Diane. Michelle Zamora. Diane had made multiple comments to her roommates and sometimes even bragging about how her and her boyfriend had killed a young girl by the name of Adrian Jones from their high school and would frequently brag about the murder and how they got away with it, as well as mentioning that the murder was mostly her idea, but her boyfriend had done it for her because that is how much her boyfriend loves her. And ironically, Diane's boyfriend was 18-year-old David Graham. A little bit of backstory on Diane Michelle Zamora. She was born on January 21st in 1978 in Texas near the Dallas area. She went to Crowley High School and was a very good student. She had all honors. She was on the ROTC as well as in cross country similar to David and she also played flute for her school marching band and although she was excelling at school and sports, 
but unfortunately her home life was not that great. Her family did not have a lot of money and due to this her parents had to be out working all the time and she had lots of younger siblings whom she just raised on her own because her parents were never really around to raise them. And so due to this and her family's financial state, uh, she really wanted to be in a job that got her a lot of money and she was really, really focused on school so that one day she could provide for her whole family. And from a young age, her dream was to become a NASA astronaut. So ever since she was a kid, that is exactly what she was trying to strive for. And at 14 years old, she attended a civil air patrol meeting at Spinks Airport near her uh, town in Crowley. This was basically just like a meeting or an educational seminar about um, air patrol and it was actually at this meeting where she met at the time 14 year old David Graham. The two met at this meeting because as I said Diane wanted to be a NASA astronaut but David wanted to be an airline pilot and it was said that immediately when they met each other they both clicked. They got along really really well. They were laughing and talking the whole time and even after this they kept in touch for a whole four years until August of 1995 when the couple would actually start dating. And a month after after they started dating in September, they had announced their engagement to their families and planned on getting married to one another after their college graduation. And it was said by friends and family and even people that went to high school with them that Diane and David's relationship was such a cute relationship. You could really tell that they were meant for each other. They were always laughing together and doing things together and they just seemed like they were so happy. They were the type of couple that like when you're around them, like it's disgusting how compatible they are with each other. That is how people describe Diane and David. They were 100% high school sweethearts. They were the couple that everyone wanted to be. And they just truly looked like although they were super young and they wanted to get married and they were getting engaged, they were moving fast because they felt like they were ready to move fast. They felt like they had finally found their soulmates. But during their college years is when they would start to practice a long-distance relationship because David was going to the Air Force Academy in Colorado Springs while Diane got into the Naval Academy in Annapolis, Maryland. But since the couple was very career-driven, they both really cared about their careers, they remained in a relationship but just kept it long-distance as well as practicing faithfulness and abstinence with one another. Diane grew up in a very religious household and as part of her religious beliefs, she was saving herself for marriage and David was as well. So both of them were virgins at this point and they were saving themselves for marriage. And this is just more of like a side note, but when I was looking at documentaries and people like talking about the case, whenever people brought up the fact that like Diane was saving herself till marriage or that she was 
like practicing abstinence a lot of people approached it with like passive aggression or like thought it was weird but I just wanted to say this as a side note if you are practicing abstinence or if you are saving yourself for marriage that is completely fine like that is fine and normal don't ever feel ashamed or weird about it you can do whatever you want with your body as long as you're not hurting others or shaming others for not you know going the same path you're going I think it's completely fine like girl slay do whatever makes you happy and comfortable abstinence or saving yourself for marriage is not weird in any way it's not evil in any way it's just not for everyone a lot of people view sexual intimacy as a very high level of intimacy something very precious and special to them that they want to share with the person that they are marrying someone that they're going to spend the rest of their life with and I don't know I just was watching all these like documentaries and like watching people talk about the case or reading these articles and they made it sound like so weird for some reason and I didn't want anybody listening or watching this video to feel weird or shameful of their choices. I've met like a couple people in the past that have had a life full of sexual experiences but it just got to a point where their sexual experiences were meaningless sexual experiences so then they started practicing abstinence and thus started saving themselves for a person that they loved or a person they were going to marry. So abstinence is not always religious either. Sometimes it's just a personal choice. So whether you're saving yourself and you choose not to have sex or you choose to have sex more as like a form of expression, both choices are completely valid and completely natural to feel and neither person should feel shameful of their choices because there's not one one specific way to view sexual intimacy. Some people just view it a lot differently than others and that's completely fine. Like whatever makes you happy and comfortable, do that thing. Don't feel like you have to be a certain way or do a certain thing. Okay, but yeah, that was just a little side note because I saw a lot of these documentaries, people talking about the case, articles talking about the case, and they just made it sound like so weird or like this was the reason why Diane would soon uh, do what she did. And I didn't want people to feel uncomfortable or shameful of their choices if you yourself are practicing abstinence or if you are saving yourself for marriage. I don't want you to feel shameful or comfortable. Girl, it is your body. Like, do whatever you want. If you want to have sex, have sex if you don't want to have sex don't have sex because at the end of the day it is your body so whatever you choose to do is completely your choice your personal choice and as long as you're not being hurtful or shaming others for not having you know the same choices that you have completely fine like do whatever you want but now bringing it back to September of 1996, at this point, uh, we are at the Naval Academy where two cadets came forward about Diane Zamora saying that she had bragged about murdering a young woman with her boyfriend, David Graham. During this time, Diane was a midshipman at a naval academy while David was a first-year cadet in the U.S. basics. And a lot of Diane's roommates would say that Diane would frequently brag about murdering a young girl named Adrian and would even say, quote, and my boyfriend David helped me cover it up. That's how much he loves me. And her roommates would also say that the only time Diane ever showed any remorse for what she did or realization of the harm that she had done was she said that when she went to Adrian's funeral, she saw Adrian's parents crying and that made her feel really bad. 
So immediately the police went up to the Naval Academy, the police from Texas, and they interviewed Diane, to which Diane said that she made the whole thing up. She thought that maybe if she had confessed to a murder, it would make her feel more empowered, it would make her seem a lot harder to her other roommates, and the police just didn't buy this. They thought that Diane was getting way too specific for this to just be a made-up story. So that is when the police went back to Texas to build a case up against Diane and David. And due to this, Diane was forced to take a temporary leave from the Naval Academy while she was being investigated, to which this made Diane very mad, but also extremely nervous. So nervous to the point where on August 31st of 1996, she had flown out to Colorado Springs to visit David and tell him everything that's going on. She told him that she had been talking to her roommates about the murder of Adrian and that her roommates told the police and the police came and questioned her and that they might later question him as well. And then Diane also tells David that she had told the police that she had made the whole thing up and it was a complete lie and so David said that he was going to do the same thing and so later on the police did in fact interview David and David said the same thing as Diane and just said, I don't know what you're talking about. She probably made it up. But that was until David was given a polygraph test to which he failed. So the police knew that he definitely knew a lot more information that he was letting on. So over the course of the next two days, David was being heavily interrogated by police. And the police would even go as far as telling David that if he did not confess to what he knew, both him and Diane would get the death penalty. So this kind of freaked out David and David was able to confess to what he knew, but he said that he wouldn't confess verbally, but he would much prefer a written confession. So the police handed him a paper and pen, and that is when he started to write everything that he knew. Hey everyone, don't worry, it's still me, just now in sponsorship mode, thanking the sponsor of today's episode, Next Evo. The holidays aren't all sleigh bells and mistletoe, they're also airports, shopping malls, and dining tables crowded with people. Give yourself the ultimate gift of a stress-free holiday with Next Evo's Naturals of fast-absorbing CBD products. Next Evo's Stress CBD Complex Gummies are clinically proven to have four times better absorption than standard CBD. No other CBD brand can promise that. Personally, I have really been loving Next Evo's gummies, especially with the holidays. I'm under a lot of stress and it really does help me with my stress, my trouble sleeping. Regular CBD oil works more slowly because of how our bodies process oil-based ingredients compared to water-soluble supplements. And regular CBD only achieves 2 to 10% absorption, so over 90% of what you think you're getting goes to waste. Help fight holiday stress with Next Evo Natural Stress CBD Complex Gummies. Featuring ashwagandha, clinically proven to reduce stress by 70%. Get smarter CBD from Next Evo's Naturals and get up to 25% off subscription orders of $40 or more at nextevo.com slash podcast promo code behind. That is N-E-X-T-E-V-O dot com slash podcast promo code behind. 
Did you know that over the holidays, property crimes like burglaries and package theft spike nationally? That's why our friends at Simply Safe Home Security are offering 50% off their award-winning security system so that more families can feel safe and secure this holiday season. Order your Simply Safe system for half off today and enjoy advanced security at a greater peace of mind this holiday season. I love Simply Safe because it offers so many amazing features and was named best home security system of 2022 by US news and world report my favorite part is not only that simply safe detects break-ins with their hd cameras and advanced sensors but they can also detect things like fires floods and other threats to your home so say you want to go on vacation but you don't have a house sitter not to worry because with the simply safe app you can arm disarm unlock for a guest access your cameras adjust your system settings at anywhere or any time don't miss your chance for massive savings on my favorite security system. Get 50% off any new system at simplysafe.com behind today. Their biggest discount of the year. That's simplysafe.com behind. There's no safe like Simply Safe. The confession he wrote was four and a half pages long and went like this. So on November 4th, the day of Adrian's cross-country meet, remember how I said that everybody that day, it was in Lubbock, Texas, everybody that day was like being picked up by their parents while they saw Adrian get into the car with a person that they didn't know and Adrian just said, oh, it's my friend. Well, apparently that man that had picked her up was indeed David. But on this particular day when he went to go drive Adrian, Adrian home, they actually stopped in a elementary school parking lot and had sex. And he even described it in his confession to be, quote, short-lived and hardly appreciated. So clearly, absolutely no sympathy for what is later to come. He said that after he had sex with Adrian, he felt extremely guilty and so he went to Diane and confessed everything to her. He said that Diane absolutely blew up after uh, hearing this news. She was beyond angry that David had cheated on her and she felt also very betrayed because they had plans on saving themselves to marriage. But David said that Diane's reaction to him cheating was very scary. It was not like a normal reaction of just crying or yelling. He said that Diane became extremely violent. She was screaming at the top of her lungs. She was crying hysterically. She was throwing things across the room, as well as banging her head on the walls and floors. And Diane would later recall this moment as well in her police interrogation and say, quote, I kept ramming my head into the floor trying to crack my skull. I screamed at him, kill her, kill her. And that is when Diane had told David that there was only one way to cleanse their marriage and keep it pure, and that was to kill the impurity, meaning Adrian. And Diane told David that if they were going to kill Adrian, David would have to be the one to do it since he was the one who had sex with her. And David also said that, as I said, Diane was extremely just unlike herself. Usually, if this were to happen in any other relationship, any other healthy relationship, a normal response would to be take a break from this relationship, you know, talk about it. But instead, Diane just 
just went straight to murdering her. And so David agreed to murder Adrian to keep the purity of their marriage. And so on December 3rd, while Adrian is on the phone with her boyfriend Terry, that is when she switches over the line and she speaks with David. It was said that her and David were on the phone for about a minute and David told Adrian to meet him outside of her house at around 1 a.m. And it is suspected that on the phone call, David probably seemed very upset or nervous because that is why Adrian was also very upset and nervous the rest of the night that night. David's initial plan to kill Adrian was to pick her up from her house at 1 a.m., drive her to a nearby lake, snap her neck, throw her body into the lake with weights attached to her ankles, uh, to which he had actually brought these weights with him. But his plans would later change after Diane had said that she didn't trust him alone with Adrian and that she needed to come with. And so that is when Diane and David took Diane's parents' car. It was a Mazda and they got into the car with David driving and Diane hiding in the back seat. David went to Adrian's house around 1 a.m exactly around the time of when he told her he would get there and Adrian got in the car with Diane hiding in the back seat as all three of them drove to a nearby forest. When they got to this forest preserve area, that is when Diane had jumped out from the back seat and started to attack Adrian. It was also said that David tried to follow through with his plan and snap Adrian's neck, but he said in his confession, quote, it's not as easy as it looks in the movies. So he tried all that he could to knock out Adrian, including taking one of the weights and hitting her over the head with it, and that would explain why when Adrian's body was found, her head was bludgeoned and caved in, but Adrian was still alive after being hit so many times in the head and eventually was able to escape from the car. So once Adrian got out of the car and was running away, that is when David said that he turned to Diane and started begging Diane to just go. He was like, you know, she's already dead. She's going to die out here. We might as well just leave now. But Diane persisted and she said, no, you have to make sure she's dead because she already saw us and she can't go out there and tell the police or else we'll get arrested. So that is when David gets out of the car and he brings his gun with. He finds Adrian mangled in the barbed wire and he shoots her one in the forehead and once in the cheek. He then walks back to the car where Diane is at and when he gets in the car, the first words he says to Diane is, quote, I love you, to which Diane replied with, quote, you shouldn't have done that, David. And then afterwards, they had driven to David's best friend's home and they spent the night there. So he wrote all of this down, he signed it and turned it in, and immediately the police had went to Diane's grandparents' home in Texas because since Diane was on temporary leave from the Naval Academy, she had moved back to Texas, but she was just moved in with her grandparents for the time being, and that is when the police showed up at her grandparents' house, arrested Diane, and took her to the station. The police said that when they arrested Diane, surprisingly, she was completely calm. She wasn't 
wasn't fighting. She wasn't asking questions. It just seemed like she was getting arrested and she knew exactly why she was getting arrested. So, the police sit her down. They say that they know everything that happened because David had confessed and they even tried to show Diane his four and a half page confession to which she didn't even read. She probably read about two sentences off of each page before saying that she wanted to tell her side of the story. The police then took down Diane's uh, verbal confession and her confession matched perfectly with David's confession down to the smallest details, uh, down to the times of the crime. So, the police knew that this is definitely what happened due to all the similarities between both stories. It seemed like they were both telling the truth. The only real inconsistency was that in David's story, he'd said that it was him who took the weight and um, hit Adrian over the head with it. But in Diane's story, she said that at one point during the attack toward Adrian, she looked over to David and David looked like he was about to cry, which made her extremely mad. So she then took the weight in the car and hit Adrian over the head with it. So in David's story, he said that he took the weight. In Diane's story, it said that she took the weight. That was probably the biggest slip up of both stories. So then three days later, David was arrested in Colorado Springs and sent back to Texas where he was charged with murder and kidnapping. Diane was also arrested and charged with kidnapping and murder as well. In David's confession, he had said that he had hid the gun and weights in the attic of his parents' home, to which the police went to his parents' home and they did find the gun and weights in the attic, just more showing how much truth there is in this confession. Until David, a couple days later, actually started talking to the police and said that his confession was not a real confession. He actually said that he was coerced into giving a false confession and at the time of the interrogation, he had no lawyer. He had also been awake for 30 plus hours and he was in absolutely no headspace to give a confession to a crime of that large. So, David was basically attempting to change up his story. He said, I was very sleep deprived. I was under a lot of pressure. I was given false promises. And at one point, David was even told that um, he didn't need a lawyer there. And so, he used this and said, I want to give a new confession because my old one was not the truth. And the police didn't really believe this because, again, Diane had said the same exact story despite Diane and him barely having any contact since they were arrested. And even while Diane and David were in prison, the both of them had frequently sent love letters back and forth to one another and they were both being tried as adults, although Diane was 17 at the time of the crime. And the both of them were given separate trials because both of them pled not guilty. Don't really know how that's going to work, but we're about to see right now. And this is when at the trials where things got very confusing and the both of them kept changing their stories. So, now it was Diane blaming everything on David and David blaming everything on Diane. Diane said that it was David that made her give a false confession, while David says it was Diane that made him give a false confession. So, in January of 1998, that is when Diane's trial had began. It was first hers and then David's. Diane's trial was indeed filmed and was on live TV 
because at this point, this story completely blew up in the news. During the trial, there was many, many witnesses that came to the stand to testify against Diane, including some of her best friends and her roommates that had told the officers about her confession. Diane's best friend, Christina, had actually went to the stand, to which Christina said that Diane's motive was David having sex with Adrian, and that is what made her do what she had done. She said, um, this is a girl they had sex with, and that they had planned her murder. Okay, and how had they planned her murder? At first, they were planning to snap her neck and drop the body in the lake. But it didn't go as planned. David's best friend also went up to the stand. This was the best friend that after um, David and Diane had murdered Adrian that night, they had went to David's best friend's house. This best friend actually came to the stand to testify. He said that that night, the both of them had came into his house and David was very calm, yet Diane was crying hysterically. He said that he didn't want to ask any questions. He didn't want to pry because clearly something happened happened and he knew that, you know, when they're ready to talk about it, they'll talk about it. But as for now, they just seem like they need a place to stay. So that is when Diane and David had fallen asleep on um, his best friend's floor. And a key witness to Diane's trial was a woman named Jennifer, and her statement shows how cruel and evil Diane actually is. She was one of the roommates that had ratted out Diane for her concerning comments. She said that the girl, everyone knew that the girl was a tramp and a slut, and that she deserved to die. She said that she and David went to the funeral, and that when she went to the funeral, she saw the parents, and she saw how sad they were and it made her feel very bad. Um, she felt sorry for the parents. And not only were there many, many witnesses coming to the stand proving Diane to be the killer, there was also a lot of evidence, such as Adrian's blood being found on the passenger side seat of her parents' Mazda, proving that Diane was there at the time of the crime. And furthermore, the police were looking into Diane's belongings and they found that on Diane's planner, she had circled December 4th and with the words next to it, Adrian, 1.38 a.m. And if you remember from the autopsy, her time of death was around 1 a.m. So how and why, if Diane had no connection to Adrian, would she put Adrian's name and the time with the date of when she went missing circled? So the prosecutors were clearly proving Diane to be the killer and with so much evidence to back their claims up. So when Diane and her defense team went up, it was very hard to defend Diane against any of this clear evidence. But Diane went forward and she said that she was actually coerced into giving a false confession and that she was actually manipulated into killing Adrian by her abusive and controlling boyfriend, David. And the prosecutor said that this was a very bold claim considering that in Diane's confession, she said that she was trying to bang her head against the floor in an attempt to crack her skull open after receiving 
receiving news that her boyfriend had cheated on her. This is clearly not a mentally stable reaction. This is a reaction that has to come from some sort of anger. And when Diane went up to the stand to give her story once again, it completely changed from the written confession that she had given the police. She said that she was forced by David to give that confession. And she actually told the court that when they were picking up Adrian that night, she had no clue of David's intentions to kill her. She just thought that they were picking up Adrian just to talk to her about what had happened between David and Adrian. She had no clue of anything that was going on. And she said that she thought that the three of them were just going to talk when they parked in the parking lot of like this foresty area. And then at that point, that is when David started to randomly attack Adrian, to which Diane just stood back and watched the whole thing. She was such in fear and shock, and she did not lay a single finger on Adrian except for one time when she pulled Adrian's hair, but that was it. The jury did not buy Diane's new story. She was also crying a lot of fake tears during her um, time up on the stand. And due to so many factors of the case, it proved that Diane did have a lot of involvement in the case. Such as being, why would Diane assume that David is picking up Adrian at one in the morning just to talk to her? Why can't they talk to her the next day during the daytime or over a phone call? Or why did Diane write in her planner Adrian 1.38 a.m. to which the spelling of Adrian's name, Adrian Jones, isn't like a typical Adrian. It's actually spelled A-D-R-I-A-N-N-E, a very unique way to spell Adrian, and that is how she spelled Adrian in her planner. And why would she say her name and then circle the date that she went missing? And why why was there so many witnesses that came to the stand and said that Diane was bragging about the murder? It wasn't just one or two. It was about five or six people that came forward to say this. And also, why would David and Diane's story match up perfectly with one another despite having little contact with each other after being arrested. So it seemed like their original confessions was the actual story, but they realized they said too much and now they're trying to retract and try to like attempt at giving a whole new angle. The detectives would also say that Diane's persona off the stand and on the stand were completely different. When Diane was on the stand and faced with the jury, she was crying, she was remorseful, she was scared, but behind the scenes when she was just having one-on-one -on -one with interrogators, she came off with an extreme attitude. She was very cocky. She was caught lying multiple times. And she even on the stand said that her best friend, Christina, Christina was the woman that basically said that Diane was bragging about the murder. Diane on the stand just straight up called Christina a liar and said, Christina is lying. I don't know why she's lying, but she is. And furthermore, she even told the detective in private that all of the witnesses were lying. She said, I don't know why they're all against me, but everything that they're saying is a lie and I'm the only one telling the truth. 
But the jury did eventually come to a verdict with her trial. And on February 17th of 1998, that is when Diane was found guilty for the murder of Adrian Jones and was charged with capital murder and sentenced to life in prison without possibility of parole for 40 years. And at first, Diane and David were indeed going to get the death penalty, but it was by request of Adrian's family that they didn't get the death penalty. They just felt that there was so much death going on right now and they didn't want to see two young people also dying, so they just wanted at least life in prison. The family also had a chance to speak at the trial, to which Adrian's brother Scott had said, quote, she meant a lot to me and when she died, something was ripped out of my heart that will never be replaced. That same year, in July of 1998, that is when David's trial had began and he said that once he saw Diane's trial and saw that Diane literally just went completely against him, that is when he broke off the engagement with Diane and cut off practically all ties with her and he said that it was so insulting to see her go up there and blame him for everything that he knew he needed to go up to the stand and tell the real truth. His defense team had argued that his confession was indeed a false confession. His defense team said that there was absolutely no evidence pointing David to the time of the crime. They said that the Adrian's blood was found in Diane's car, so that means Diane could have been driving the car. They also said that his fingerprints were on nothing that they could find and basically just tried to argue that he was not there at all, which is very, very hard to argue. They said that his confession was indeed a false confession and it was the result of sleep deprivation because the interrogators had kept him up for two days prior trying to get him to confess. His defense team also said that his interrogators had given false promises to David, such as telling him he didn't need a lawyer when in fact he did need one. The interrogators also told David that if he wrote down his confession, then he would not get as much time. Um, they also said that he would be let go if he were to give his written confession. So that is another thing that they argued as well. David went up on the stand and he claimed that when Diane was visited by the police shortly after when she took that trip to Colorado Springs to tell everything to David that was going on in person, it was that day that David and Diane had made up this story to tell the police and that's why when they both gave their confessions to the officers, their interrogations or their like timeline of events were identical and that's because it was of a premeditated story. When the court had asked David, okay, well, if you had nothing to do with it, then why were the murder weapons found in your parents' attic? And to this, he says that Diane had actually given him the gun and the weights, and he said that Diane specifically told him not to take them anywhere and dispose of them, that she wanted to hide them in his attic because she had, quote, special attachment to them. 
But throughout David's entire trial, his demeanor was very, very similar to Diane's in that he was fake crying a lot and even sometimes caught smiling when the prosecutors were talking about Adrian's death. David also had no alibi for the time of the crime and weirdly refused to tell the court where he was during the time of the crime. But in a wild turn of events, a very important witness came to the stand that completely broke the entire case and this woman was by the name of Wendy Bartlett. Wendy Bartlett came to the stand and said that she was the one that drove Adrian home the day of November 4th, not David. And she is 99% sure that she had picked up Adrian from her track meet because she remembers Adrian talking about the track meet being in Lubbock and they didn't really have many meets in Lubbock. And so she knew for a fact she was the one that drove Adrian home that day and not David. And this completely broke up the case because that means him and Adrian never went to that elementary school parking lot. That means they never had sex. And so if they never had sex, then what exactly was the motive for David and Diane to kill Adrian? And as well, why exactly did David have Adrian's phone number to call her at her house and tell her to meet him outside at 1 a.m.? Adrian's friends also came to the stand to testify against David, saying that Adrian was not the kind of girl to just have casual sex. She had a boyfriend who she loved very much named Terry. She was not that kind of girl whatsoever. They said that it would be very out of character for Adrian to not only cheat on her boyfriend, but also have casual sex, especially with David, a person that she barely knew. And it also just wouldn't make sense because David was in a committed relationship and he loved Diane and Adrian was also in a very committed relationship and she loved Terry. So what would be the point of them getting together exactly? And the only person that was going to come to the stand and vouch for David was Diane. But when she showed up to court that day to take the stand and defend David, it was said that David and Diane exchanged a little bit of eye contact with absolutely no emotion, but Diane went up there, she pled the fifth, and just walked out. So Diane did not say anything to vouch for David and barely gave him any attention at all. It only took the jury eight hours to come to a verdict, and the next day, David was found guilty for the murder of Adrian Jones and was sentenced to 40 years in prison for capital murder. On October 6th, 1999, a year after David was put in jail, he did an interview with the press to which he felt that he needed to come forward with his full and honest story. He said that there is no point in lying about it anymore. He's already in jail, so there's no reason to be tiptoeing around anything. In this interview, he definitely makes a lot of very bold claims, and a lot of people think he truly is telling the truth in this interview, and he basically says that his original confession was indeed a lie. It was the result of a lot of sleep deprivation and just trying to say things in order to get out of that interrogation room. He then confesses that he had never had sex with Adrian, and him and Adrian 
Adrian were just casual friends. There were a couple of times where he had driven Adrian home from cross country, but other than that, they were mostly just casual friends and only knew each other through cross country. He said that the reason why his confession matched up with Diane's confession so perfectly was because when Diane was talking to the police, she had visited uh, him in Colorado Springs after she was met with the police and basically told David, I told the police that I didn't know what was going on and you should probably do the same thing as well. And that is when David and her created this premeditated story to tell the police. And that's why when they told the stories to the police, they were exactly identical. He said that he was indeed the one to kill Adrian, yet Diane had equal amounts of involvement as him. He said that he wasn't doing it because he wanted to, he was doing it because he was so devoted to Diane. As of 2022 to this day, David still is in prison serving out his sentence and he actually got prison married back in 2010. He says that he spends most of his days exercising um, and he also has a blog about airplanes and dreams that one day when he is released he is able to ride on an airplane again and he is supposed to be released in 2038 at the age of 60 years old and so as for diane similar to david she still today remains in prison she did request for a retrial back in 2005 that was later denied and she also similar to david got prison married but did get divorced a couple years later as far as her inmates say, she doesn't really talk to anyone. She mostly just kind of sticks to herself. She only has one friend in prison who she claims to be her best friend, and that is a woman by the name of Yolanda Saldiva. Now, if you guys don't know who Yolanda is, she is the murderer of the famous singer Selena. She had shot Selena, and apparently, even to this day, the two women are best friends in prison. In 2015, Diane had filed a report saying that her and her best friend Yolanda were actually being targeted by other inmates and she requested protective custody. Now, this claim was later denied because for those who don't know, protective custody is kind of like a nicer section of the prison. Protective custody, you have access to the internet, you have access to TVs, you have air-conditioned cells, you have more outside time. It's basically just like a better prison, typically if you are a celebrity and you go to prison, that's typically where you'll be staying at protective custody. So they just knew that Diane probably just wanted better treatment for her and Yolanda. So this was denied. And after this was denied, she requested for a retrial, which was again denied. And then she went and did an interview with Dateline in order to get her story out. During this interview with Dateline, she basically just said the same things that she said at court that day about how she didn't really do anything. All she did was pull Adrian's hair once. But throughout her entire interview with Dateline, her body language was actually analyzed by a body language analyst um, who worked for Watch Crime Daily. And he even said that whilst watching her interview, there was multiple occasions where she was clearly lying. And even during Diane's interview with Dateline, she said, like, I am not lying about any of this. This is the truth. This is my story. And you guys can give me a polygraph test if you want to. And so 
they did. They ended up giving her a polygraph test to see if she was telling the truth and she failed it. So even to this day, she is still lying about what happened. And so to this day, David is still saying that it was all Diane. Diane is still saying that it was all David. And even to this day, we will never truly know what happened that night. So that is the end of today's case. If you guys found this case interesting, make sure to give it a thumbs up and subscribe if you're on YouTube or if you're on Spotify, Apple, wherever you can find podcasts, make sure to rate it five stars because it really helps me a lot. If you want to follow me on any of my socials, like my Instagram, that will be linked down below, as well as my PO box if you want to send me anything, and as well as well, all of the research that I use for this video. So if you want to go ahead and do your own research, all of that will be linked down below, a great starting point for you. And if you, you know, go ahead and do your own research and you come across something that I didn't mention in this video or that I didn't find in my research, make sure to leave that in the comments below because I'm pretty sure everybody here will be very interested to hear what you you have to say and also in the comments below let me know your guys's thoughts on the case do you think diane would have gotten away with this crime if she were not to have said anything to her roommates do you think diane had more to do with it do you think david had more to do with it do you think both of them were as equally involved do you think they should have gotten the death penalty? Do you feel that David should have gotten full life sentence like Diane or do you think he deserved the 40 years? But yes, I would love to hear your guys' thoughts down below and make sure to be safe out there. Have a wonderful rest of your morning, day, night, whenever you're listening to this. Make sure to go outside today, you know, sip on some good fresh air today read your favorite book, eat your favorite food, take a little bit of time for yourself today, even if that's just like five minutes of like daydreaming or something. Just do some self-care today, take care of yourself, and I will see you guys next week. Bye.